Hello, and welcome to another episode of On the Floor with Wayne Rob. I'm Wayne Highlander, Director of Sales for Bone Adhesives. I'm Rob Johnson from Bona Training. You know, Rob, what's going on? I don't like it. It doesn't get me pumped up, ready to go. Well, I want to let's talk about something that will get you pumped up and ready to go. Um, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about something down your, your lane today. And I, something that I wholeheartedly believe in this one sentence that you say all the time that starts the every week off every week that you work. And that sentence is. That's your cue, Rob. Your cue. I, I don't know what my sentence, I don't know what that sentence is. Have you been doing floors for 20 years or you want to? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, oh, okay. Now I see what you're saying. Yeah. Man, wow. Well, you threw me off with that one. All right, Wayne, listen up. Um, part of the PowerPoint that we do at all our training is there's a slide that says, do you have blank years of experience or one year of experience repeated blank many times? Riveting. So what I thought we could talk about was our when you and I started and mm-hmm. what's some of the things that you're doing differently now compared to, you know, your first five or six years of Santa floors where we were just really doing what we were told not to get in any trouble. That's funny. Uh, doing what you're told not to get in any trouble. Um, there's people that go through life like that. I mean, that you know what I mean? <laughs> Um, that absolutely go through go through life like that. Um, just staying out of trouble. Just, just staying out of the light of sight. You know what I mean? Just don't yeah. get in get any trouble. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, things have changed dramatically since from where we we first started to where we are now in the in the industry. So I I think that would be kind of a neat one to talk about. Yeah, I agree. Now, when you started Santa Floors, it was with your uncle Stan, right? Is that who? Yep. Mm-hmm. Stan is who brought you into the business. Yep. And you did a lot. I know you've mentioned it before. The Stan says stuff, right? Mm-hmm. You get your little book, Stan says. Um, but like I said, this show is about things that we changed that we thought when we started. That was it. That was from the Holy Grail. You know, that book at the time when I wrote that, that was like the Bible for doing floors for me. That was uh, from the, the 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 most experienced man I knew, been in the trade 50 years. And this was uh, his knowledge direct from him to me. And so important that I, would, I wrote it all down. And today, absolutely none of it is valid. Isn't That's that amazing? Insane. That's wild. Yeah. That was the building ground for building blocks for building my business and being a floor man. And none of it is is relative or germane today. The only thing is the passion behind it, that it remains the same. Isn't that something? It's crazy. So your turning point was what? Uh, education, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Education, staying, knowing that I did, knowing I was smart enough to know what I didn't know. And things were changing, and and I I want to make sure that we are you know on, on the cusp of everything you know learning the new and I, and don't get me wrong, I would not say I'm an early adapter, I am skeptical, 
Well, well, I told you about my, I was the last man in America to have an eight track cassette player. Um, I, I was one of the, probably the last three men in America that had a, a, a VCR with a wire, wire connected to it. Okay. I didn't believe in new technology of this wireless crap. Yeah. You know, that fad. Um, I didn't think cassette tapes were going to be any better than a uh, track. So when I tell you that, I'm not one to change willy nilly. Uh, once I know something works, I mean, I'm that's absolutely true. I remember standing in the Kmart auto department. Remember, Kmart used to have an amazing audio yeah. stereo for cars in the automotive department. They had everything, speakers, and and I remember standing in a Kmart auto department with a very good friend of mine, Scott Lappies trying to talk him out of buying a cassette, a cassette player. He was going to make the jump from eight tracks to cassette. And I said, Scott, you're, you're insane. First of all, you have to rebuy all of your music. And second off, this is a, a, a gimmick. It's a fad. This will mm -hmm. never lie. The only thing that will ever be able to, you know, withstand the test of time is eight track cassettes. Yeah. Cassettes will never make it. It will always be eight track. Literally, I stood there. Wow. In that Beautiful. thing trying to talk him out of Yeah, I was right with you, man. There there's no replacing the eight, uh, the eight track cassette. And I know there's people listening to this show who have no idea what we're talking about. There's some people who probably might even have them someplace stored, but I know there's some people out there who are no never heard of an eight track cassette. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's a right certain rites of passage when you're a young adolescent growing up. Uh, one is your first dirt bike. I mean, when you're and and that's why I'm against kids getting a getting a a dirt bike when they're like seven years old or or like little four wheel quads when they're like six or seven years old. I'm sorry. There's something about pedaling and pedaling and pedaling, pedaling uphill, you know, pedaling all day, trying to get somewhere on the other side of town and riding that bike forever. You'll never appreciate the wind in your hair, the, the sound of a motor, the smell of gasoline when you get that first dirt bike, as much as a kid who's had a pedal and, and a bicycle for, for years. And another one is, is a great stereo system in your car. You know what I mean? I mean, I remember the old JBLs and uh, some of the other good stereo. Pioneer was another one. You, when you were a kid, you couldn't wait to get a good stereo system. You know, you could crank as loud as you wanted. Um, so yeah, but uh, you know, things change, and and like I say, technology changes, and and so I, I was always willing to change if if I saw a good reason behind it. Um, I do credit Daniel Boone for, because he's another one that I respected, like I respected my uncle Stan. Um, and, um, and, um, that's probably the genesis for a lot of the changes and things that I did. I, I agree though. My turning point was my first NWFA school. Mm -hmm. That's when I was just blown away. And like I said, the first, uh, I have said it a, mi a million times on the show, you know, the first two days of that class, I was just, you know, everybody's stupid and everybody's doing everything wrong. Yeah. Until, you know, I saw a guy buffing stain on. And then ever since then, um, every training that I've ever been a part of, I know I'm going to walk away with, with something. 
So definitely education is right up there. But here are some of mine that I do completely different now than I did maybe, let's say, the first 10 or 12 years of my floor sanding career. And the first one right off the bat, the first one I started to write this down, the first one that hit me was uh, how I dispose of stain rags now compared to how we used to dispose of stain rags. Mm -hmm. What did you do in the, initially? I used to ball them up and shove them deep down into a bag of dust. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. Did you get lucky? Oh, well, we had a couple of dust bag fires, but we, it never dawned on me that it was stain rags mm -hmm. ever. I mean, until I really started to teach and really started, and I, it was one of those things that I heard a million times, oh, stain rags, start the fire, stain rags. And then, you know, I really jumped online and started reading about it and what, you know, the whole thing that happens with the oxidation because the air is taken away and the oxidation leads spontaneous combustion. And I was like, my God, this is just unbelievable stuff. So I would say that's right up there on the top of my list. Um, well, I'll start with the finishing for me. Um, I, I count rolling as the best thing I've ever learned is for finishing. And um, I, we brushed everything with a six inch brush for years, I mean, years and years, because that was to me the most quality technique you could you could get. That was as clean as it got to, to coat a floor. Six inch pretty brush, keep it in the jacket when you were done and uh, take care of it, get a, get a, a comb, comb it out when, when you're done. And actually there's nothing dirtier than a brand new brush. If you ever buy a new brush off the shelf and take a, a brush comb and comb through it and see how filthy they are, they're filthy. But, um, when I learned how to roll, I mean, and, and believe me, we went through the sequence of rolling in, in T-bar and, and the lamb's wool before T-bar and, and all the uh, whole nine yards. Uh, by a landslide, rolling was the best thing I ever learned about finishing. And it's not for every job. I'm the first to say it's not for every job. But it is an amazing technique. And it's, it, uh, I think the quality of a, of a rolled floor is better than a brush floor. Um. So you you brushed all your floors when you first started? You and Stan? Probably for everything 15, was brush. Fifteen years I brushed. That's it. Six inch brush, nothing else. Yep. Get a wide stance, get your bucket, get low to the ground. Sometimes you'd you'd rest your your uh your your forearm on your on your left leg where the bucket was held when you got tired and uh brushed everything. Wow. No lamb's wool yep. applicators for you, huh? No, we went to from the brushing to lamb's wool. And lamb's wool could do a good job. Um, I mean, sometimes a fantastic job, but you can never really trust them 100%. You know what I mean? From from shedding. Um, so, you know, when we got one broken in, I said before, we we throw them in the, in the, in the washer dryer to get as much of the fuzz off it. We'd put it on, a, on, a, on the, the block, take a cigarette lighter, uh, to, to hit all the, the ends for the fuzziness stuff on the ends, clean them up again. Once you got one broken in, you, it goes through the uh, sequence of being on seal coats first, or the first coats, and then you could trust it on the, on the finished coats. And then you, you'd ball it up and put it in a can afterwards. You don't have to have poly in it to keep it good. Just keep the lid closed on the can 
and that thing would last forever. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you would never want to break in a new one. So no, we used to keep them right in the bucket of polyurethane. Mm -hmm. We never, we, yeah, the last thing you wanted to do was put a new one on there. Um, another one of mine was how we store dust, uh, especially in backpack vacuums. We had two backpack fires, um, all from storing dust inside of the, not empty in the backpack and keeping that in the truck and still never figuring out why, um, you know, we had backpack fires until, you know, one day it dawned on us that the motors get hot as the machine gets used and that dust gets hot, melts a hole in the side of the plastic of the uh, backpack. And uh, once that hole gets melted, dust starts falling out, air starts going in. So, uh, but we never really figured it out, even when it was happening to us. You're a regular pyromania, weren't you? Yeah. Yes. With absolutely. Yeah. Just you should you should have you should have walked around in a, in a flame retardant suit with all the stuff you were doing. Um. You know. Um. Uh, what it took me later in life to learn on the small jobs, on the installation jobs, like I'd say three hundred square feet and under, is just bid them for prefinished floors. Just just do a pre-finished floor with them. That, uh, you you know, if, if you have to go back as many times as you have to, to to install and sand and finish, you know, you drop it off to acclimate it, you come back to install it, and then you got to come back and sand it and stain it and maybe get the first coat on it. Then you got to come back, you know, put the uh, subsequent coats on it. Uh, on some jobs, it just makes sense to put a pre-finished floor in. And that's coming from a guy who my whole background and passion is with uh, unfinished flooring. When you start doing the math, for me, you start doing the math, uh, it just makes more sense. Unless um, you can schedule, sometimes you can schedule jobs around the same area. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same same part of the woods, same part of town. So mm -hmm. uh, it, then, then it, in that case, it makes sense. In the morning, boom, hit this one, put a coat on because you're working right down the road. You know, and then in that case, it does make sense. But I learned smarter uh, ways of uh, of looking at the jobs financially that's a good one i like that one smaller jobs go with pre-finished so what were you like under 200 feet uh i'd say like under 200 300 square feet especially if it was out there any if i was any travel involved at all but here's another thing and, and I, I put this down as another one and uh, it's charged more money uh but it's you know these people today when I, I see the uh, the amount of money that these guys are charging today, sometimes it's it's un, unreal to me what they're able to get. So we do, you know, we complain about oh, it's hard to get help and what have you, and you know, we this is those type of things. But let's face it, if we're being honest, guys today are charging. I mean, what we would say is crazy amounts of money to do this, which I I, I think is phenomenal, fantastic. I mean, I couldn't that is that is always the goal, but um. Um, so yeah, I, with that in mind, I mean, you know, there are times where the guys today, I, I hear guys say are traveling, they'll do that 300 square foot job because they'll charge an astronomical amount of money for it and it's worth it for them. So you get, you got to pick your poison one or the other. You have to charge appropriately. And, um, 
the guys that are just not afraid to to charge and don't feel guilty about charging whatever are making an absolute killing uh and and i I think it's fantastic because it's hard work and you need to you ever been on jury duty um no i've always uh, got out of it i have finally uh, i've done everything to get out of it and now i have to go tomorrow Hmm. i have to go to jury duty tomorrow on a grand jury i i have no idea what i'm gonna do yeah but i've been ducking it for a while and now finally i thought for sure you were gonna have a good jury duty story no but i have a good i have a courtroom story What's here? Uh, one of our one of my relatives was assaulted by somebody badly. Okay, so my that person's father wanted me to go to court with them in support of this person. That was, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And this guy was going to come up for for the first the first appearance in court. Okay, got the overalls on, you know, the orange jump the uh, overalls that they give you, whatever. And um, you know, it's like. 10 or 12 guys there right and when we come out and they they give what his offense was and they so anyhow this guy comes out and my 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 cousin taps me like yeah that's the guy who did it right so i'm sitting up right up front so you know the universal sign where you go i mean i'm, I'm staring at this guy like hard right because you know my cousin got assaulted and um and, and uh, you know the taking the finger under the neck sign you know what i mean the thumb like this the yeah, universal yeah, yeah i'm yeah. gonna kill you sign yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you're a dead man sign. so anyhow yes. as, as discreetly as i could to the uh to the uh to, to the um sheriffs that were there i do that sign to him right so then he like does a double take and looks at me so so i do it again and, and i'm not smiling let's say right <laughs> So he looks around the courtroom again, and he kind of looks back at me again. I do it again for like a third time, right? So then the um, the judge reads his offense. <laughs> dude, dude was there for a DUI. It was the wrong guy. <laughs> so, you gotta love it. So, uh, whoops. Oh well, you shouldn't drink and drive. All right. So um, yeah, he'll never he'll never drink and drive again. There's some crazy guy out there wants to kill me over it, especially around me. You know something? I just saw in the um, in the news today. Sperm banks are no longer taking uh, say donations from redheaded people. (laughs) That's not true. I God strike me dead. That cannot be true. I'm going to send it to you. Yeah. So what are you going to do? Well, I never did. Shave your head. Shave your head and your mustache. Shave it all. They'll never know. See, what are you going to do like I was donating? Go go in with long sleeves. No. Yeah, we got to have another Wayne Highlander in the the cooker. All right, I'm going to send you this information. Uh Okay, go ahead. Isn't that some serious discrimination doing that? What I said. Yeah. Okay. Um, another thing that I that I um, changed down the road is uh, we. I've, I've said it before, but uh, we, we used to hand sand everything. And when even if you broached the the, the topic of bringing in, in uh, orbital sander, it was a big time no no 
for us. Like you were lazy, even, even asking about it. We would just not even hear about it. You had to hand sand to get it to blend the best and everything. And, and uh, we thought that's the way it had to be done. That's the way I was taught. That's the way we, we just would not. And we held on to that for years and years and years and years. Yeah. You know something? Some of the best risers, if you ever get a stair treads and risers, do a set of stair treads and risers, and you're doing the risers now, and you're going back similar color. You know the way that we used to do the risers oftentimes? Hand sand it with 36 grit sandpaper. Believe it or not. Break it up, hand sand it real good with 36 sandpaper, and then and then restain it, and it would look sensational. Hmm. Yep. That's My, it. 36. Nothing 30, else. 36 grit sandpaper. Break it all up. We're going back pretty close to the same color. And my brother John showed me that on the job one time. And uh, I went, oh, man, I can't even believe this. It looks it looks fantastic. And uh, you can't always do that. But if you're going close to the same color. And a lot of time risers, they don't put a lot of finish on to begin with because it's going to it's going to run. So they get thin coats. So, yeah. So, anyhow, there you go. Um, one of my big ones uh, changed was no more 3680 or 4080. Yeah, skipping grits. Yeah, skipping grits. That just meant nothing to us back then. Mm, I look yeah. back now at things that we did, and that was one of the, that I think was one of our bigger mistakes. Yeah. But I always make the joke we got away with a lot because everything was, you know, 4080, satin poly, and bad lighting, not anything that anybody gets anymore to work with mm -hmm. so i um i think one thing that makes you a really good instructor is that you've gone through all that for all those years because you do such a good job in the, in the classes and illustrating why that doesn't work and why you shouldn't do that and um uh, i actually was never really guilty of that i always said someone could 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 go a whole career of sanding floors and never buy sandpaper if they were my friends because I, on the belts, I, or, well, when I, I changed when I got to the belts. Uh, but when I ran my drum sander, I probably changed my, my paper way more often than I needed to. On the belts, uh, whenever I took a belt off, I would uh, take a red Sharpie on the inside of the belt. I, I would write it how many square feet I sanded with it. You know what I mean? If I, mm. if I say I did three, 300 square feet with it or whatever, I'd take a red Sharpie and I'd write 300 square feet on the inside. So I know, okay, I've got pretty good life left to this. And I did take care of my belts. Uh, I really did take care of my belts and I, I put them back properly and I didn't store them on concrete and those type of things. So uh, to get the most life out of my belts. And that's one thing that I would do uh, towards the end of my career. I did not start as aggressively as when I, when I first started doing floors, you know, going with the 36 grit or whatever. I mean, I think the, 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 the advances in sandpaper, certainly Bona Green. I hear a lot of good feedback about Bona Green on the, um, on the the chatter on the uh on the, the facebook flooring groups that is a beast of a sandpaper man and where i normally would maybe start with the 36 grit uh i i go down to 50 grit all day long with that sandpaper so yep that's that was that, I, yeah i, I agree with you there that was definitely one of the changes i made too i start everything now with 50 no matter what 50 I'll was always, always my go-to 50. Yeah, but in the old days, it was every almost everything we started with twenty four. Wow, I know. She's. I think about the things. It's crazy. Yep, the milling is better than it ever has been. I think we can thank Pergo for that and Wilson Art. 
the milling uh, of those products were phenomenal. And so I think a lot of American mills changed their, their, their knives and everything and, and started milling the floors better. And uh, the milling is way better than it ever has been. And um, so I think that's changed as well. That's why the old days the machines were set up the way they were set up to cut heavy to one side. Yeah, heavy cut, feather cut. And we're going to talk about yeah. that in another podcast. Absolutely. Uh, oh, another one of mine. Um, God, this one, this one makes me sick. How many places I use liquid nails and Elmer's glue for starter man. rows, treads, closeout rows, molding. Oh man, I just can't believe it. Yeah. I, well, liquid nails has no place in this industry. It just doesn't. I mean, we, you know, well, you know, we want to call out manufacturers by, by name, but uh, I'll, I'll just say something, Rob. Uh, we make a product called Vertical Nail, and I will give you your money back if you try it and don't like it on this one, on this one, uh, one scenario. For the first board that you put down, you install the first board. It is phenomenal when you use uh, Bona Vertical and then put it down on that first row in your chalk line, the first board, and then wait about 10, 15 minutes or whatever and see how rock hard that is that you can start kicking off of and, and, and install. It's fantastic. Fantastic. I would not, I mean, I told my brother John this, I would not leave the, the warehouse again without having some with me because it works just, I've never seen one work better. I'll say that. It costs a little bit more sometimes, but man, the, the, uh, what, what you'll get in return is just, it's a fantastic product. We did a school, well, we did the flow launch a couple of weeks ago and then last in New Jersey. And then last week I had another class there and, um, you know, Jeff Ofredo built that, that, uh, wall, that little wall that, uh, mm-hmm. I think what a three by four wall. Yeah. And we threw a couple of competitors, uh, adhesives up there for a vertical, you know, for doing a wall. And then we threw ours up. It was unbelievable. I mean, there really is no, I was pretty shocked how it was just the other two were just running and falling off. And uh, I was just about to say, and your adhesive just, mm. it never moved. But I guess not your director. Mm-hmm. I can call it your adhesive. Your vertical never moved. Um, we, we put one up and I thought, well, it told it really good too. So maybe this is not going to be so impressive. But then I, I tried to, I bumped a little bit. It boom, it just immediately fell right off. So yeah, I, yeah. it is, it is a winner. It doesn't sag. I mean, it's, yeah, I agree with you that the, the, the technology there's light years ahead of what it was, but that little demo right there, that's the way to demo that stuff. Mm-hmm. That is definitely the way to demo that stuff. Yep. Um, so yeah, those are some things that, that, um, that, that I, chase uh, over the years but i got a question for you rob uh say you're on a job and say it's 2500 square feet okay you're doing it by yourself and um do you would you go through and sand the entire floor first with a big machine and get all that done first and then move on to do all the edging and then move on to do all the hand scraping how would you break that up i would do all of one and then all of the edging yeah i wouldn't go I know that's exact opposite of what my son does. My son will drum a couple rooms, jump back edge, 
then he'll go and he'll drum some more rooms, jump, jump back an edge. Uh, the few jobs that I did where I had to be alone. Oh God, I hated that, but I would do all the drumming and then jump back and do the edging. Mm-hmm. Wow. I'm, I, no, no way. I would not do that. Complete opposite. Complete opposite. Um, and you know, I don't know what would make them, you know, uh, productivity wise, what's, what makes the most sense. But I, I wouldn't leave a day for me of all edging or a day of all scraping and, and, uh, and oscillating the edges or anything like that. I, I, I would prefer to just get one room pretty much done and move on to the next one uh, to a point, you know, depending on the square footage of the job. Um, what would you say if you, had, if you were partners with a guy and he says, Wayne, I'll, I'll, I'll go there on, uh, I can't work Saturday, but I'll get, I'll get there on Friday and then I'm going to, I'll, I'll, I'll work all day Friday. And then when you get there, he did all the big machine work, all of it. And he left you with uh, the stairs, the hand sanding and the, uh, uh, not hand sanding, but the oscillating sanding and the hooking. Well, I don't know if you should ask me that, but maybe we could ask my old partner, Pete. That'd be a great, that'd be a great question to ask Peter. Yeah. So you'd be okay with a guy uh, like, you know, you guys got to get this job done together. And the first day he goes in there and he spends the entire day just running the big machine. You'd be okay yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Matter of fact, I, I remember distinctly one day, I think I had made, I was, I, I might've been even starting a third cut with the big machine. And he came in cause he was doing something else or wherever he was. And he was like, so were you ever, gonna run the edger or are you just gonna keep yeah. big machine and right right to the very end right. yeah 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 we should have pete on the show or bum just to ask them what do you think when rob did that or your dad did that too yeah. i mean you don't think that's a problem not for me yeah but if, let's say if you were the other guy i mean i, I admitted it i i came clean yeah so you know it's not right you said you admitted it that's not the right thing to do Mm-hmm. All right, but I did it. It don't make it right. I'm not saying I was right. I'm just saying, what would you think of a guy? Okay, I think I he was, was a pretty scumbag. damn smart. Yeah. Oh, that's a bad word. Don't use that word. Scumbag. Yeah, that's a bad. You guys stay oh, away from that one. That's a that, that's offensive. But but you going yeah. in there and doing that whole thing that's not offensive. Try to go dirt bag or a terrible thing to do, whatever. Stay away from the. Uh... My father in law heard me say that one day and he pulled me aside mm-hmm. and told me what that really meant. And ever since that day, I was like, okay, if it was enough to piss him off, I am never going to use that word again. You know what? Don't say piss me, piss him off because <laughs> that's offensive to me. I don't know what scumbag means other than dirtbag. I'll I'll explain it to you later. You just made it too too uh, too weird now. Now I'll I can't explain can't it to you later. It. We can't talk about it on the show. Well, I can't. Can, I can't know leave. there's a lot of people that throw that word around. I'll I'll explain it to you later. I don't even want. I don't even. I don't even want to know what it what it means. Uh, well, you know what it means. I mean, let me look it up. Hang on, real don't, quick. Don't 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 not on the show. Oh oh, oh no, I got it. It means a guy that will go in with a sander and sand the entire job without getting off his on his knees and edging when it's appropriate to edge. Okay. That's me. 
Okay. That's it. Okay. Uh, you know another one, another big one that I've completely changed on? Respect dry times and cure times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing how many tacky floors that I screened or floors that I knew just weren't ready just because, and it goes with another one of slow down. My God, it was everything we did back in the old days. We were just constantly rushing. It was just, everything was about the speed. And part of that was not respecting dry and cure times on products. You know, I was pretty good about that, but there are times too that I rolled the dice. And uh, I wouldn't at the time saying, well, yeah, I had to know it was rolling the dice a little bit. You know, you weighed the odds and you think to yourself and you try to talk yourself into that, oh, it's dry. It should be dry. You know, we did everything by the book and it should be dry, blah, blah, blah. But in your heart of hearts, you know, it smells a little bit too strong. It, under your foot, it feels a little bit, a little bit tacky. <laughs> Are you, you know what I mean? Or you put yeah, the rag if you down. If you can't. If you can't wear your shoes and you're walking around the edge of the floor, not to make footprints that see people can see, then maybe you shouldn't be on the floor. Well, no, uh, except for the, the, the one last thing that kind of uh, was thinking about when we were getting ready to do our podcast today, you know, it seems like every time in my career that I, I, I threw something out, you know, like I've been sitting on this feature strip for, for a long time now. It's been a year and a half, two years. We've never used it. I've been sitting on this special cut of wood that, you know what, it was a special custom job and it's been years now. It's taken up space. You'll never, never need it again until you throw it out. Until you throw it away. And then when you throw it away, a certain job will come up where you could have used it and what have you. So, um, yeah. If, uh, well, you know the old saying, being a floor man means never having to throw anything away. Yeah. I mean, you're almost like a hoarder in some ways. Um, but, um, yeah. I love going into some guys' old shops, you know, guys who are, you know, generational type guys. And there's, uh, I'll always ask, where's your museum? Where, where's your museum? Where do they keep all the old equipment mm-hmm. stuff? It's just so funny. Some of the pieces of equipment that you'll see in some of these old time, and they, they're never going to use it again, but they yeah. never throw it away. Yeah. It's always there. Eight inch drums with wood handles. I, yeah. I mean, just, you know, chain driven machines, mm-hmm. crazy on. stuff. Yep. Uh, I guess another one for me, Rob, is uh, as I would have jumped on a power station a lot earlier in my career. Uh, just to make life easier. Once we did, it was like, gosh, this is one of those things where when you finally do it, you think, gosh, why didn't I just do this a long time ago? Mm-hmm. It would have made, made life so much easier. Um, I sold a power station one time to somebody. He was a gym contractor. Uh, this wasn't one of ours, a bonus product. This is one that was made by a local company that was a really, really, really nice machine. I got into sales, so I didn't need it anymore. I did not want to sell it. I would have it today, but this guy was in a jam. And I sold to him for a steal and he didn't, he didn't, I don't think he still appreciated what I was giving him. And I, my only rule is it, look, if you don't need any more, if you ever go to sell it, just let me buy it back to you for the same price. And he said, yeah, okay. So I, I, he hasn't, I hope he's getting good use out of it, but I, I would never parted with that damn thing. That was a, a lifesaver at times. So. 
Hey, um, you know, a little heads up on running machines with a power station, especially when you're going over 100, 150 feet. You know, sometimes you're running a lot of cord. Always run the power station 50 feet away from your machine. So let's say you got to go 100, 150 feet. So you'd plug into your box, run 100 feet of cable into your power station, then boost up your power or regulate the power, whatever you need to be up or down. And then that last 50 goes to the machine. Too many people put the power station, you know, right under the box, too close to the mm -hmm. power source. And then there's a lot of draw heading out to your machine. So just a heads up, always run that machine 50 feet away. You know, that last 50 feet is from power station to the machine. Yeah. Good call. And uh, well, you just reminded me, uh, as you're saying that, I just, uh, another thing that I, I was always a pain for me is the, is the cable connections, making sure they're all universal, that, you know, every van has got the exact same cable connections on. Then if, so if you show up to a job and you got to get on a guy's edge or whatever, that somehow you're, you need a cord or whatever, that they all match up. I can't tell you one day that the meltdown that I had, that I brought everybody in and said this i don't give i don't care what it costs i want all these connections to be exactly the same everywhere everywhere you go bar none uh because uh yeah it's uh makes life easier now peter and i had that game with all of our air tools same yeah different different fittings on different no that hose orange hose goes with this gun yeah. black hose goes with this and no you can't plug that in there and then and then finally, one day I said, this is insane what yeah. we're doing. I mean, it's insane. And I literally took three hours out of the day and everything was because, you know, you're trying to finish and you're switching guns and yeah. things like that. And you're like, oh, no, I can't use this. I got to use yeah. that. It just felt a little, uh, uh, yeah, that's, that's... we can do we can do better, I thought. Yeah, yeah. The craziness. All right, Rob, you got any more? No, nah, let's wrap it up. Good stuff. All right, I appreciate it, Rob. Thank you very much. There's some great tips, and there's a really good tip on the power power station. I forgot about that one, so that's a good one. So there you go. This has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. I'm Wayne. Uh, please stay tuned for another episode. Let's try that one again. All right. Rob, thank you for your limited input. This has been another episode of On the Floor with Wayne and Rob. Please stay tuned for another episode. See how much better you do when you throw a little insult in there? Yeah. Yeah, that's what you need to do. Oh, yeah.